You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera and everything in between, if you have a piece of hunting gear or a piece of hunting equipment that needs a battery, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. You can go to a local retail store. Or you can go visit online at interstatebatteries.com. They have thousands of local retail shops all over the U.S., so you can go there as well. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast where we celebrate our hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos, no status, just catch it, cut it, and cook it. Episode 34, Crossbow Crusader. Nick talks with Rich Wilson, host of the channel Death by Bungie. Rich and his trusty crossbow, Bungie, travel the Northeast in search of whitetails and the occasional feral hog. He's an advocate for crossbows and their effectiveness, along with knowing their limitations as archery equipment. A common argument in the discussion amongst hunters is crossbow versus vertical bow. His passion for the outdoors and the wild feast he can acquire, method is just merely a personal choice within legal means of take. His channel has covered a whole host of topics revolving around crossbows and hunting in general. His videos are very informative and yet very entertaining at the same time. He brings an old school feel to the digital platform. When your two dish breakdown involves canning venison and stuffed backstrap, you know this man is in it for the right reasons. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Uh, another beautiful evening here in Michigan. Um, at the time of this recording, it is one week from archery opener and uh oh yeah feelings are high feelings are good by the time this is coming out it'll already be in full swing but imagine if you will that you didn't take out a vertical bow and you didn't take out a shotgun but you would cross the two and take out something completely different you are now entering the crossbow zone and what better guest to have on to uh, talk to us about crossbow hunting other than Rich Wilson, host of Death by Bungie. Rich, thank you so much for uh, jumping in this evening. Nick, thank you very much for having me. I can't think of a better way to do an intro for this podcast. <laughs> I think that's great. Thank you very much. 
I'm pretty excited too. We're actually about 10 days away from our, our opener here in the Northeastern Pennsylvania, the opener of what I like to call the Pennsylvania crossbow season or the 37 days of awesome as I refer to it here. But we're, we got a little bit more time to go before you get ready, but I'm pretty just as excited, I'm sure. Yeah, being on the east side, um, is Maryland started? Don't they have an early dough? You've ventured over into Maryland before, haven't you? Yes, I have. In fact, it's not just early dough, it's early buck and dough. I've actually been down there for what I like to call the early crossbow season. <laughs> Starts September 6th. I went down there and we were successful, brought home three deer, uh, two does and a spike buck in velvet. And that uh, the mount is being done by some folks down there in uh in Maryland, they're actually preparing a European style mount and salvaging the velvet for a guy who grew up in Northeastern Pennsylvania to be able to harvest a deer that has velvet. That's pretty important to me because by the time the hunting seasons start up here, the deer are long out of velvet. So pretty exciting stuff. That is super cool. Yeah, we're at the same time. I mean, we you might get a little bit of patch of velvet that is still hanging on just a little bit, but yeah, we're we're full bone here in Michigan by the time we get out there. Um, I mean, our youth season, I think they have an opportunity, but yeah, it's still, it's, it's all bone here. Rich, what's your mild mannered day profession? You know, I mean, as much as we love hunting, we, we got to pay the bills. What do you do for, for a living? That's right. I uh, actually, I am a lawyer. I've been practicing law for a little over 20 years here, about 22 years. I am fortunate enough to live in and be employed by my home county where I grew up here in northeastern Pennsylvania, Bradford County. I grew up here, was born here, went away. The only time I've ever been away from this neck of the woods is for my college and law school, that sort of thing. But uh, happy to be back here and happy to have spent my whole career here. Man, shoots a crossbow and a lawyer. Do you have like five <laughs> friends? Can you count them on one hand? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, you have to kind of get used to that. You have to have thick skin to be in the business that I'm in. And to make matters worse, I'm a criminal defense lawyer is, is essentially my job. That's my chosen lot in life, I guess. So, you, you know, you don't necessarily uh, aren't the everybody's best friend in that business necessarily. Uh, but it's a good, honest work. And I also, the crossbow certainly is not a way to win friends and influence people historically in the hunting community either, but it is what it is. It is what it is. I do want to touch on just the service you do provide that um, you do offer um, a bit of counseling and just a bit of um, humanity to folks that are either in the prison system and in with drugs and alcohol abuse. Um, just, just mention briefly what you do and I think that's a, just an, an important thing that we need from, from folks is a healing hand. I, I agree. Um, as a guy that's practiced in the area of criminal defense for so long, you know, you sort of go to law school to be the guy that wins trials and gets people out of their legal problems and that sort of thing. And that's one way to do that is to go to court and advocate on behalf of people. But part of that for me now is to sort of advocate for people to gain sobriety, to become healthy and live longer, healthier lives, and to sort of get the tools necessary to become free of drugs and alcohol and the influence that that has on them. It has an amazing impact that I see firsthand in people's lives, giving them a second opportunity, but also it reduces the amount of crime that's going on out there. So it's actually a very powerful thing that I have seen firsthand. Until I took this job with our county, I was in private practice for 18 years or so until that. And in the last several years, I've been fortunate enough to be involved with that treatment court and the various programs that are available here. And I do, I do see it as a very positive thing that's giving a good foothold here. 
well, good deal. Hey, thank you. Thank you for that uh, that service. It's it's thankless, but uh, needs to be done. So along with being a lawyer and a hunter, along with being a YouTuber, you're also a rock star, I hear. Talk to us about your, what is it, Yankee Militia? Is that the name of your band? Yes, it is. Yeah, Yankee Militia is my band. It's essentially me and my daughter playing the tambourine, do some stuff here and there to help me out with it. But essentially, it's it's what I, I've been playing guitar since I was... 12 years old or so. I grew up in the 80s guitar. Everybody wanted to play guitar. So I've, I've been playing guitar for an awful long time. And with the way technology is today, you can have a recording studio right in your living room uh, with a computer, buy the microphones, that sort of thing. It's not that expensive. It's all attainable. And pretty handy with a computer, pretty handy with the technology. One of the things that I've done over the last few years has been able to put together a couple of albums. you got to have a name. Yankee Militia is just the name I chose. It has to do with the fact that uh, Pennsylvania has, uh, at one time at least, close to a million rifle hunters that would enter the woods all at once during our November deer seasons, November, December deer season, uh, which is approximately two weeks long here in Pennsylvania. And because of that, that seemed like a militia of Yankees, so to speak. So I just sort of named the band after that. But the band is really just a way for me to provide my music and uh, showcase that in the videos. That's really, it's just an interest of mine. All of this just stems from my combined interests in the outdoors, hunting and, and filming and in music. Well, I'm excited for tour dates when those come out. You and your uh, daughter can take a trip over here to Michigan. I know we got a couple bars that would you would fit in great in. You'd really well, pack I appreciate the place. that. We are we are not a touring band. We don't perform live. This is more of a recording and enjoying that sort of thing. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, hey, enough about Rich. Let's talk about the star of this uh, of the channel. The channel, by the way, is uh, if you haven't seen it on youtube is death by bungee and the star of the show here is bungee the crossbow can i can i say it it's a she or is it a he what what are we talking Uh, with on bungee you know i don't i don't know the exact answer to that question bungee sort of runs the show so if bungee is male or female that's up to bungee i think that uh I can the, the best information I can give you is Bungie is my crossbow. It's a 2010, mostly a 2010 Excalibur Axiom. It is something I bought for five, six hundred bucks way back in the day when I made the transition from rifle hunter to crossbow hunter. I wanted to extend my seasons, get out earlier, enjoy the same scenario that I was watching on all the television shows, you know, you're watching all these hunting shows that had archery in them. And I thought, man, I really want to take part in some sort of archery season. Pennsylvania like uh, legalized for hunting purposes, the crossbow across the board in 2009. And in 2010, they, there was talk of them rescinding that, but they never did. And in 2010, I did what I had to do, bought the crossbow and it sort of run itself since then. I just was so fascinated with using the crossbow and getting up close and personal with deer. It was such a new experience for me that, uh, you know, because the rifle season in Pennsylvania and Michigan, you know all about this. When the rifles come out and the bullets start flying, the deer are all running 100 miles an hour. And it's not the same hunting experience you would experience during a during an archery season at all, in my experience. So it was a whole new world for me. Good deal. Mm. Yeah, exactly. When those when those deer start running, man, it, it is. You're just throwing lead down range and hoping to even see a deer, let alone even 
interact or get get close to to those um 2010 model excalibur uh what kind of yep. bolts are you shooting out of that thing are you going heavier weight with those and a little bit slower speed because it's a, an older model or are you still trying to max out the the uh kinetic energy i am more of the second camp for me you know i've added that that's a crossbow that when it's brand new the the high-end specs for it best you're going to do is 305 feet per second and that was with the upgraded string which i have installed i've got a, one of the faster strings on there it's a recurve crossbow so that's pretty easy to do but the sound deadening equipment that i have added to it to make the crossbow a little bit quieter uh, has slowed it down significantly i lost about 20 25 feet per second on that some of that i have removed like the string stars i had an issue with those recently that sort of thing but generally speaking i'm still i'm probably shooting around 280 to 285 feet per second for that reason i stick with the 20 inch easton carbon arrows that came with it you know that i that i bought and i've got luminox added to those and I shoot a 100 grain broadhead. Uh, right now I'm on the Rage Crossbow Hypodermic. I love it. Got no reason to change. Uh, just like everybody else listening out there. <laughs> we all got our opinions on the broadheads. But but it's really performed well for me. I don't have problems with them with accuracy typically or anything like that. And the penetration for me is not... Uh, not something I need to be worried about, in my opinion, because most, if I get a proper shot, I always get a pass through as a general rule. Now that's going to, you know, I, I'm reevaluating that for the purposes of things like wild hogs and stuff like that. But, but for deer, um, pass throughs on any proper shot, I don't have any problem with it. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah. It's, you've got a successful YouTube channel, but you don't have the latest and greatest. I think that's a, real testament to just showing off the skill that you have because it seems like every other channel you got to have the latest you got to have the greatest to generate following but at the same time if you can just go through and stick with hey this is tried and true this is bungee she he or it it's going to bring it down it's going to take the animal quickly and effectively i think that's a that's a great uh show to be following along what started you getting into making uh, YouTube videos. How did you get into wanting to be part of the outdoor uh, media sector? Actually, I, you know, we got our first video camera back in, in probably 2003 or so, back when my daughter was born. She was born in 2001. Uh, excuse me, she was born in 2002. Jeez, that's terrible. Uh, when she was born, we, um, we bought a, a video camera, like a lot of young parents do, and I started collecting all these videos and then I sort of got into editing them and having fun with the cameras and learning more about the cameras and that sort of thing. The reason I chose hunting was really just because I was watching the hunting TV shows and I thought, wow, this is a kind of video that I can do, I guess. This is just something that we that I, I can do. I I you know, I like to hunt, I like the outdoors, and it sort of put itself together. Really it did. It's just it was one of those things that I gave it a little bit of thought before I did it, started making the videos and you know, I've grown in, I've been using the same editing software now for, oh man, like 13 years, I think. I've been with the, with the Adobe Premiere uh, software, and it's just sort of grown with me. <laughs> it was several years ago. I think I was fresh into hunting. I'm an adult onset hunter myself. Um, picked it up right out of college, and then, I don't know, being the... I, 
I guess I wouldn't say I'm a full millennial. I'm a zennial. Oh, there you go. But just, <laughs> just whatever that is. But I came across your channel, and one thing that you had mentioned several years ago, and I, not to put you on the spot or anything, and I think it's something you hold true as a mission, is you wanted to bring quality back to outdoor television. That this idea of YouTube was still fresh at that point. People could post whatever they wanted, it seemed, and the quality of hunting was shown either in grainy films or uneducated uh, script that was going out there. Not to say that we were uneducated, but there wasn't there wasn't a lesson to what was going on, and it was grainy footage, and sometimes it was kind of you know a bit grotesque. You've brought Death by Bungie on the scene, and your mission has been to be a quality program. First of all, is that I think half of my interest is hunting, which is crossbow hunting is very dear to me. But because it's been a big part of my life now, I'm hunting for the 10th season. This will be the 10th, this is now the 10th hunting season, this 10th season in which I kill deer, for example, with the same crossbow. So it's pretty, it's pretty dear to me that it's pretty important to me. But uh, the other thing is that I hold quite dear is my is the filming and the creative side of this and the storytelling. And for me, it's when those two merge, and I don't always hit it out of the park by any stretch of the imagination, but when I can get both of those things to come together, like before you and I started talking here this evening after work, I've been, I spent a couple of hours editing, and I've been on there trying to piece together these different clips to make and tell a story, that's... It's just every time I do it, it just is, gets me excited. I'm just so excited to tell this story and to share it with other people. YouTube, one thing that I do differently, I think, than a lot of other channels do, in the last couple of years, I've moved in more into the live streaming, getting online like this. My Maryland hunting videos will premiere hopefully this Friday. I'll have that up and running, and I'll be able to get on there at the same time as a premiere where I can chat with people online. And I have interacted with a lot of the people who share similar interests and thoughts about hunting that I had. This August, this past August, I got together with a handful of uh, what I call friends of Bungie, folks that are subscribers, folks that have supported Bungie. And we got together and we actually went on a, uh, it was in a preserve here in Northeastern Pennsylvania, but we got together and we all hunted wild hawks in a preserve, a local preserve. And we went there and we had a great afternoon, a great morning, great time. My daughter was with us. I uh, got to meet some people that I had spoken with online that I've met with here and there. And it's just the support that I've gotten from that community. It's a pretty close-knit community of the Friends of Bungie are. So I think that's one of the things that separates us from everything else. Really, I think what people need to do if you're going to try and do hunting videos, it isn't enough to have a kill shot you got to tell a story. You got to you got to make somebody care about why this story is being told and about why the animal was taken. I love that. That's 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 a great way to go about it. It's it's engaged me cuz I mean yeah, the kill shot is there, but I want to know what's going on. I want to know about the story and you have hit the nail right on the head as far when it comes to putting creativity and you know, a, a story together. And I know as a, as a subscriber, I, I enjoy each week or each, um, each time a video comes out. So your work is evident and I appreciate that. In fact, uh, a bit of why I've created Huntivore and what I've tried to do is my, you know, my first ideas with Dustin, where we were talking about a YouTube channel, like maybe we wanted to make something like that. 
and mm-hmm. the words that you had said where we want we want quality outdoor programming that was reminiscing through my head as I've you know brought it up so your words were in the back of my head as I was putting together my platform and I I took it a different direction and I think it's going wrong really well but yeah I just wanted to let you guys know that that hey death by bungee is is working its way into different avenues I really I appreciate that I appreciate it so you got your crossbow you're heading out for your opener here in uh in a couple weeks what's the challenge when it comes to having a cross being crossbow hunter um and you mentioned just some of the specs that they're it's not out of worldly fast bungee you know she gets the job done but it's at a slower rate you know we're not pushing the sound barrier on this so i have to assume that even though you're rocking a crossbow you're still setting up in an archery st- or is like a vertical bow setup as far as range tell me some of the challenges that you have getting into the stand, you know, setting up your shot. What's the challenging part of being a crossbow hunter? Range is definitely a challenging part of this. And I don't know that it's limited to me and Bungie in a sense that, I mean, the farthest I've ever taken a deer, the longest shot I've ever taken, I was successful. 35 yards. It was a deer parked at the other side of the food plot. Uh, she was eating over there and I had her, I actually pulled the range finder out, had the range finder around a couple of different times to make sure that it was a 35 yard shot, not alert, felt comfortable about the shot, but that's the only shot beyond 30 yards I've ever taken. I would say the vast majority and coming back from Maryland now, um, not to toot my own horn or anything like that at all. I don't mean it in that sense, but I, this was the 33, I brought back deer 31, 32 and 33 with so with a crossbow. So I, for a guy that grew up hunting with a rifle in northeastern Pennsylvania, 33 deer with a crossbow is kind of a, a pretty big deal. And I'm quite proud of that. But And that's over now. This is the 10th season in which I've been successful with, with taking deer with a crop with the same crossbow. And 33 deer out of all of those deer shot, recovered, more than half of those were under 20 yards. So it's very much a archery range hunt for me and i really don't have much interest in shooting beyond that and changing that to be honest with you i mean i really enjoy it <laughs> everything that i've done all of the hunts i've been on successful or otherwise uh they they they're all great stories for me that are ingrained in my memory and they're all times that i have i wouldn't change any of them for the world and i'm not interested in, if i wanted to shoot deer at 100 yards i'd be going back to using a rifle there's no question about it with that same stigma, like you were just saying, there's a stigma that comes with uh, being a crossbow hunter. And what I liked saying is that, or like he- hearing from you, was that the challenge is there that this is a archery implement. You're using bolts. You're using a string. Your range, you know, you decide that. Like, this is going to be my ethical shot. We hear over and over again, and I think it's partially just maybe guys are jealous that, you know, the crossbow hunters are going to kill all the deer in archery season and we're not going to get any. Or, you know, that the ranges that these guys are taking deer is astronomical. Going back to your point on uh, television or even pro- outdoor programming, like you're going to see these huge epic long shots to show off the, you know, whatever 
whatever crossbow is there. You're going to see these ranges, and that's what's left with us. Um, but as far as when it comes to like the full community of archery, you have a full firm belief that crossbow should be included in that. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, when you talk about long range shots, look all over YouTube and see if you can find all of the long range shots taking deer with a crossbow. Add them up and see if Tim Wells himself has not shot more deer over a hundred yards than whatever number you come up with. <laughs> you know, Tim, I mean, Tim Wells is is a master, and I love Relentless Pursuit, and I love Tim Wells. I've never met him, but I think he's a wonderful guy. I love the program, everything else. But he certainly is not completely representative of all of the compound bow hunters out there, just like if you find a handful of shots. And I don't think there are that many on YouTube of 80-yard-plus shots or anything like that with a crossbow on deer. I, I don't look for that kind of thing going out of my way for it, but there aren't that many of those on there. And when you compare the two, I mean, you can make, uh, there are exceptional shots with any piece of equipment. There's no question about that. I think manufacturers are misplacing their their focus when they start talking about long range shots with crossbows. There's no question that is the modern thinking. You know, even my scope, I couldn't buy a new scope when I upgraded the scope for Bungie. I had to get a scope from Excalibur, the Twilight DLX, and it has a 60 yard reticle, which I probably will never use in practice even. <laughs> you know, I my practicing goes out 40 yards is as far as my yard goes. That's pretty much as far as I'm interested in shooting. I mean, and I'm, you know, just that's really just to, to diagnose any accuracy issues out at that range. That's the only reason I would be taking those shots. For me, whether archery stuff, I, you know, like we've talked about this a little bit already. I'm a, I'm a lawyer, so you're kind of the odd man out to start with. And, and I hunt with a crossbow, so I'm kind of the odd man out to start with. It's just how my mind works. It's how I'm made. It's my personality. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. If they want crossbow hunters to have their own season, that is totally okay with me as long as that season is day for day exactly the same as the compound bow season you can call it something different if you want as long as it's exactly the same time i'm okay with it (laughs) (laughs) there you go hey i want my piece of pie and i want it the same size yeah and and that's where it's going there's no question about that it's funny when i started the channel six or seven years ago i really expected to have debate after debate after debate on this subject in fact i kind of set myself up for that because i always refer to it as crossbow season i don't really even refer to archery seasons. I refer to it as a crossbow season. When I go to Maryland in September, that is my early crossbow season. When it starts up here in Pennsylvania, the 37 days of awesome, that is my crossbow season. And when I, after Christmas, when we start up again, it's technically, it's a muzzleloader season, a flintlock season. I refer to it as the late crossbow season. So it's, to me, it's all crossbow season. That's the only thing that I hunt with anymore. So everything to me is a crossbow season. I think that is the future. I really do think that as hunting numbers dwindle, the way to get more people involved in this is not to tell them that they have to go out in the backyard and shoot 100 arrows three times a week or five times a week in order to stay proficient and be able to kill an animal. I think the way to do that, you're really, the crossbow, it can, it can certainly has a place in this and certainly can be one way to encourage people to hunt. Excellent. I just got done talking with a guy uh, recently. In fact, I, I'm working out getting him um, on the show as well. Um, the QDMA has a side program they're working with, and they're working with young adults and uh, adult hunter or adults who haven't hunted before and have shown interest in that. 
and they're starting them out with mentors that are going to bring them along the whole hunting system, whether it's they have to find a spot, you know, that somebody's going to show them how to do it. Somebody's going to then show them how to set up a, a tree stand. We're going to get them into a spot where they need to be. Um, and they were actually equipping them with a tool to use. And the QDMA has even thought, hey, let's equip people with a crossbow. It's an easy startup for someone, mm-hmm. just like you were saying, they don't have the time to shoot 100 arrows. They're not looking for another discipline in their life. They're looking to acquire some venison or acquire some hog or whatever they're uh, pursuing with that. And so that's just a really neat uh, correlation that, you know, you're you're advocating for the crossbow, and it's like there are other camps out there doing the same thing. I agree 100%, and I think that that's one of the reasons I like your podcast and one of the things that I appreciate about you sort of taking the tone that the food is such an important part of this is that that's often overlooked the harvest is the end of the successful hunt. And if their QDMA is going to help these people get involved, choose a weapon, choose a hunting location, show them how to harvest the deer and process it, it ends with what do we do at the end? So that's one of the reasons I'm glad to be on this podcast. I really am. Yeah, that's our whole focus is, yeah, darn, here it is, down on the ground. Now what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and with, with Yankee Militia. Uh, you guys have a testament that as well is it in fact you got a song entitled carnivore and the whole <laughs> premise behind carnivore is 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 it hunting is it acquiring meat dive into that song a little bit what are the what are the lyrics leading to in that song <laughs> the song starts out uh, the, the the first line of the song is i kill animals and eat their flesh and i the reason that i sort of wrote that song and got into this essentially we're talking about uh, you know, it is what it is. It's not like we can turn this into something else, and nor should we. This is something that human beings have engaged in for 10,000 plus years of going out there and harvesting their dinner and making food out of it. And that's not something, you know, we've. it's kind of lost on folks today. If you watch a lot of the hunting shows, we don't talk about that. If you talk to the average person who doesn't hunt, they don't talk necessarily about where their food comes from. But I think it's important to have that connection. And, you know, my, in our household, I, I was shocked recently to learn how much beef costs, for example, recently. I'm not saying I don't eat beef. I'm not opposed to it. I stop at McDonald's way too much, probably. But, you know, but we don't buy beef and bring it back into the house as a general rule. I, we eat venison all year long. And so it's important to me to have a few deer in the freezer. You know, it makes me feel a lot more comfortable when that happens. But, yeah, the, the Yankee Militia stuff, hunting in the outdoors is a big part of my music because it's you know I can only write songs about what I know about and that's compliments the videos it's sort of like I said it all grew together in one big thing here this amalgamation of death by bungee it sort of grew together yeah I I enjoy that song and I'm, I'm glad to see everything's just kind of flourished up from that and I, I think you hit the nail on the head too is like we're we're continuing to I, th- I think folks are being shocked of where their meat comes from and here we are as hunters or even you know ranchers and slaughtermen it's like guys this isn't rocket science meat comes from an animal something has to lose its life and to put those lyrics right there at the front like i kill animals and i eat their flesh and as much as like a oh my goodness flag that guy he i'm triggered right now i can't can't stand it that's the reality right there is that uh we got to be able to 
at least tell the, the public, hey, we're, yeah, we are killing animals. We are eating their flesh. But at the same time, know, you know, that's the, I, it couldn't be done a better way. I I agree. And I, I think we also at the same time need to, you can't shy away from the reality of what it is, nor should you be ashamed of it. I think by writing the song that way and using those harsh lyrics, it seems kind of harsh, but it, you know, in a, in a, you know, you watch the TV shows, you read the articles, and everybody is t- sort of tiptoeing around the subject and saying, well, I'm going to harvest this animal and all that. And that's fine. It's totally okay to use that kind of language. But I really think that calling it what it is, uh, everybody knows what it is. And if you're proud about it, don't act ashamed of it. That's what I. That's the way I sort of look at it. That's the reason I wrote the song the way it did. <laughs> Well, hey, while we got you here, thanks again for listening. Dustin, where can our listeners engage more with us? They can check us out on Instagram at Hunnivore. They can check us out on Facebook, The Hunnivore. Or send us an email at Hunnivore at gmail.com. We've also joined the Sportsman's Nation family of passionate outdoorsmen. Um, They come together with lots of great content. You can check out their website at sportsmansnation.com. They're also on Instagram and Facebook with the handle Sportsman's Nation. Uh, in fact, if you check out their blog, we have a recipes already up. And they are a 2% for conservation company, which means as a business, they give 1% of their time and 1% of their earnings back to the wildlife and wild places that we love. I think that's pretty sweet. Anyway, back to the show. I got my crescendo of my show right here. We're at the two-dish breakdown. This is where you get to break down a bit of uh, what you provide for your family. So my first one, I broke it down into two. And the first one is I just want to know your favorite cut of venison. Actually, I'm going to back up a second. Do you take yours, your deer, do you take that to a processor? Or have you jumped full feet into processing your own? Both. Uh, this year, all three deer were done by a processor in Maryland because I was out of town. And the deer, you know, I'm staying in a hotel room hunting for a week or so. And so the deer have to be cooled, prepared, and all that sort of thing in my absence. I can't do that and stay in the hotel room. Um, so I brought them back. I actually had them quarter them up. I brought it all back frozen in quarters, processed it here in the dining room table when I got home. And um, in the past, what I've done, the deer that I shoot in Pennsylvania, I typically hang myself, I process myself, I do all the cutting up myself. I have used processors here as well, but, uh, but really when the circumstances permit it, I am more comfortable with it when I do it myself. I really do like the end product. I've had very good success having other folks do it as well, but I just feel more comfortable with it when I do it myself, if that makes any sense. Yeah, makes total sense. Um, when you cut it up yourself, what is what is your favorite cut that you're uh, you're saving off to the side that you're really looking forward to, and how do you prepare it? Well, I'm going to throw you a curveball on this. <laughs> I'm going back to your one of your earlier podcasts uh, when you guys were talking about. I think you called them giblets. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, I, and let me, I have to give the whole explanation here. You got to hear the whole reason why I say that. I think now, I, if I remember, and I don't want to misquote you or anything like that, but you guys were talking, and I think this is a, a good way to do it. The giblets are like the small pieces of meat when you don't know what you're doing necessarily, and you're not necessarily making the best decisions and following the, the, the correct protocol when you're processing your own deer. You end up with a lot of small pieces. And here in northeastern Pennsylvania, we call those speedies, right? That's what everybody would call it. It's basically the roast that they didn't know how to take out properly out of the hind quarter just becomes a bunch of small pieces that we marinate and we cook them on the grill or what, what have you. Um, the reason I say that that would be my favorite choice is only because currently I've gotten into canning and small stew meat or the small cubes of venison can very nicely and canned venison. I just, if you haven't had it, people should try it. I just think it's great because you can store it for a longer period of time without using a freezer, without worrying about the power going out, anything like that. You can just sort of leave it on the shelf, pull it off of there. It's already cooked. You can eat it out of the jar. I can take it in a small jar to work and eat that at lunch, or you can get home and throw it in a pan and make beef stroganoff just by adding the proper uh, ingredients. And it's just, it just got all kinds of options with it. So I really like overall, I mean, I like having my roasts so I can do my cross, my crock pot, what I like to call crock pottery. I like to have that available. And I like to have the, those tenderloins so that we can go through and we can fry those up in a pan with a garlic and butter. I like to have the back straps whole so that I can go through and I can, you know, do my favorite preparations with that as well. But man, I do like the canned venison. I really do. That's great. I, I love it. There's a spot, <laughs> there's a, a deep down special place in your heart for. <laughs> giblets or speedies i like the uh the new twist on them speedies we're gonna add that in um i've i gotta get a pressure cooker i've got an instapot and i believe Mm -hmm. inside the manual it says not intended for canning but my wife has always been a little bit hesitant on getting a pressure cooker she still feels that it's a bomb on the stove but i I'm going to have to really work on her. Maybe I just got to go pick up one and be like, oh, we got it. Now we got to use it. If you buy a modern one, I think they're pretty safe. I really do. I'm, I was always nervous about them. and But, uh, you know, I've lived with one now for three years and on and off canning. I've done both the hot water bath canning of vegetables. But you definitely want the pressure canner to do the to do the meats properly. And uh, But, you know, I feel totally safe around it now, now that I've done it. You know, you got to have, it's like anything else. You got to get out there and you got to spend some time with it and get your head around it before you really feel comfortable with it. But it's definitely something to look into. So when you're making your cuts, are you specifically, are you looking for a a size? Like, you know, as you're going through, are you looking for one inch cubes? Are you looking for strips or is there, is there a certain size or is it just kind of like, well, I don't want to grind it. So we're all going to put the pieces in. I don't want strips necessarily for the canning. I'm not that that wouldn't work, but you want a uniform size will help the help the heat uh, sort of work its way around the jars a lot easier. I think I, maybe that it doesn't make a difference, but it, you one of the things you're doing though is you want to make sure you're evenly heating each of the jars, which is going to happen over that period of time. It's typically not a problem, but that's why you don't add things like whey and other ingredients to your canning because if you do that it can actually ball up in the middle of the jar and prevent the circulation the prop the proper circulation of the heat but i look for you know just one inch cubes i think is fine anything in that ballpark when you're done sometimes i pour that jar and all of its contents right into 
the crock pot at the end of the beef stew cycle when it's almost done. Sometimes I'll throw it in a pan and break it all up with a spatula or what have you. It really depends on what you want to do with it. No rhyme or reason. No, no. You can do some one way and some another. It's, it's totally up to you. But it's one of the reasons I like doing it though is that it's because when it's canned properly, it's really already cooked. I mean, it's not uh, you know cooked into your ingredients, cooked into your recipe, but it is safe to eat directly out of the jar. Good deal. Hey, that's a curveball that I've taken really well. That's a that's a love. I love how you're I going back. Like that. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. I was thinking that when when I was listening to your podcast, I was like, well, you know, even even the giblets have a have a place with, in this world. So there's hope for us all. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. My last one. This one comes with a little bit of weight, and uh, you're going to need a little bit of creativity on this one. And uh, this is your date night dish. So you've come home, you're a successful hunter, you got you got your deer. The uh the daughter is at a friend's house and it's just you and the missus. Oh. And you happen to be eating in. You've decided date night in and you're cooking. What are you making that's going to make this date go just right? That one I think I'm going with the old standby. I'm going to do the back straps. I'm going to do them in the oven. One of the things that I like with venison to do is figure out a way, because venison's really lean, um, but that's one of my favorite cuts, really, is the back strap. I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. The One of the things that you've got to do with venison is you've got to find a way to add fat back into the recipe. And with a back strap, obviously, you're not grinding it up with anything else. What I would do, one of the things I like to do, is I will slice the back strap in half almost, butterfly it open, you know, lengthwise. And then I will uh, will load it up with some cream cheese. In mine, I would put some slices of jalapenos. In my wife's, I would not put that in there because she doesn't like the hot food. But then I would use toothpicks to sort of pin it all back together. And probably um, a dry rub on the outside, a mixture, one half brown sugar and one half some sort of spicy seasoning, whether it's a steak rub or something like that, but or something a little spicier than that, on the outside, just to give it a nice crust when it all cooks up there. And cook that in the oven there, you know, probably 350, depending on the size of the back strap, might be 350 for 35 minutes, somewhere around there. But she doesn't like any of the anything too red on the inside, but I have gotten her to accept something that's a little bit pink because she understands that venison is a little bit more tender when it's not overcooked. But uh, but I think that that would that would fit the evening quite well. <laughs> Excellent. Now, is there a is it going to be like a stout or a beer that goes with it, or is it going to be a, a red wine that's going with it? What are you pairing it up with? Well, in our household, my wife is very firm on the rule that we have milk with meals, so that's where it's going. <laughs> I am I am thoroughly impressed. We have cream cheese in the venison. And we have milk on the table. This is Midwest right here. This is Midwest at its best. <laughs> We'd fit in nice. That's great. That's great to hear. That sounds like a, a lovely meal. And then, yeah, I'm sure the spuds are going to be along the side of it. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Well, I know you're a busy guy, uh, Rich. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come out here. Or, well, not come out here, but to, to come online here and, and chat with me. This has been a wonderful talk. Um, this is going to be my my uh, token to you. You're going to get to uh, do a quick little shameless plug here. 
where can my audience find a crossbow shooting, lawyer talking, giblet eating guy who's got a YouTube <laughs> channel? Well, I think to fit all those criteria, there is only one place, and that would be Death by Bungie on YouTube, or you can check us out at uh, deathbybungie.com. Bungie is spelled B-U-N-J-I-E. It is, like I tend to joke, it's the uh, the French spelling, I guess is what we'll say, but it's B-U-N-J-I-E, Death by Bungie on YouTube. Um, I hope you your listeners will definitely check it out, and Nick, i got to tell you, this has been a very good talk, and I really appreciate it. I really do. Excellent, Rich. Hold on for just a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna send our folks out. Um, hey, this has been a great night. We're gonna we're gonna use some more giblets up. Our season is at the time of this releasing already in it. So, folks, I hope you have a deer down, and uh, make sure you keep those knives sharp. <laughs>